Hello, welcome to another episode of LFC Reactions. Wow, haven't done that in a while, haven't I? Um, you, those who've probably seen the notification, all three of you. Yes, I'm back. Um, sorry about the delay. <laughs> it's been how long? <clears throat> it's been about... Well, my last episode drop was... Jurgen Klopp signs a new four-year deal. That was in the back end of April. Since then, um, obviously, we won the FA Cup. Came very short. One point short of winning the Premier League title. Um, Champions League, we also fell one short to Real Madrid. Um... So, what could have been a quadruple ended up just being a Carabao Cup and an FA Cup. And yet, the players, fans, still had a parade afterwards, I guess, to make up for the pandemic, I guess, when we won the league but couldn't celebrate it back in 2020. Um, Why am I back? Why am I back? A lot of you probably thinking, why am I back? Well... First of all, I want to say Happy New Year. New Year comes with resolutions, right? And I admit, I've been very, very lacklustre in 2022 in terms of podcast drops. I've been doing LFC reactions since um, 2017. Literally just recording my thoughts of a game after... um, after Liverpool play every game. And I've been doing it since 2017. And then 2022. Things just got busy man. Um, but it's no excuse. Obviously I could have squeezed in. Probably. To do more episodes. But um, yeah. I do acting as well. For those who don't know. Um, also had a voiceover um, role. Similar to what I'm doing now. But it's just me narrating over. Um, a show, a docu-series, Six Captains on Netflix. Um, feel free to check that out. Put the audio on audio description and then you'll be able to hear my voice narrate in certain episodes. Um, yeah, that's if you got the time. So that was one of the things I was doing while I was kept away. Also some of acting stuff. But I'm here to talk about Liverpool, man. Um... Yes, I know it's 2023 and I'm hoping for a fresh start with the boys. But the first game against Brentford was not fresh at all. Um, so I'm going to try and go into my traditional form of um, podcasting when I mention the lineups, what I think of the lineups, etc. And then try and deep dive into what I remember. And there might be some things I've missed out. If I've missed out, it's because I've not done a podcast in <laughs> in about eight months. So apologies. But I want to be consistent for 2023. So I'm going to try and be as consistent as I possibly can be. And not just do the one episode and just be done with it. Um, so yeah. Um, let's get into it. Brentford versus Liverpool. Before kickoff, um, obviously the games over the weekend we saw Tottenham lose to Aston Villa at home. Um, Man United still won away at Wolves. Chelsea dropped points to Nottingham Forest, even though they're below us. They're about eighth or ninth. Um, Newcastle somehow <laughs> stayed in the top four. Um, dropped points to Leeds. Um, Arsenal beating Brighton. What a complete contrast to the season Arsenal are having, right? Who would have thought we'd see Arsenal in the Premier League title race? Everyone just presumed it'd be Pep and Klopp for as many years as it possibly can be. But now they're seven points clear at the top. And in all honesty, I think Arsenal will cement top four. They're, everyone's talking about title talk I think Man City will probably still pip them to the title But they are nailed on for top two First or second, either way They're not dropping below second They're 
that they're playing the most exciting football in the league at the minute. Um, they got young, hungry players. They're everything Liverpool used to be. It's almost a stark contrast, isn't it? Like we swapped lives. If you ever seen that show Wife Swap or whatever, somebody with the great life and somebody with the poor life, and you just have a little switcheroo, and then you experience what life could be an alternate multiverse, I guess, sort of thing, where you just find out ah, oh, there's a there's a happier side. Or, that's what Arsenal fans are enjoying, and then Liverpool fans are like, oh god. What is this traumatic experiences we're suffering from here? Um, so, yeah. So, I think Arsenal Man City got the top two. And it's between Newcastle, Man United, Spurs, maybe us. Um, for those remaining third and fourth spots. So, so yeah. Um, so, when I saw these results happen, I knew the importance of today's game was massive. Um, if we win, we're literally one point behind fourth. Um, and also we overtake Tottenham into fifth. That was what was at stake today. Um, and the way at Brentford, we know they've been doing damage against um the top the traditional big six. See how they blew away Man United four 0 I think uh Tottenham struggled last week to get a result. Uh, Man City, they beat at the Etihad. They're they're the new Stoke City, but that played decent football. Same colours, same sort of support. They let a rugby team play on their pitch. I think it was the same with Stoke as well, actually. And yeah, they got Ivan Toney, but luckily today he wasn't uh, involved, but um, it didn't make a difference for Brentford, as we'll get into a little bit later. So yeah. So the lineup for today, um <clears throat> Allison in goal, Simicus left back, um Van Dyke, Canate, centre backs, right back Trent Alexander Arnold, your midfield three, Harvey Elliott, um Fabinho and Thiago, and up front you had Oxley Chamberlain, Darwin Nunes, Mohamed Salah. So my thoughts on the lineup was Konate back from the prolonged break from the World Cup final because we had just come from a winter break. Um, my thoughts of Konate coming back at the time was that I'm happy because Matip has been regressing this season. I don't know if you guys noticed or if you agree. Matip's losing jewels. He's now getting a little bit ragdolled by uh, players. He's not using that defensive smarts as he once used, as he once had before. And yes, he's now less injury prone, but I think, I don't know if that's come at a cost of just um, being a bit too precarious when you have those physical encounters. Um, But whereas Ibu Konati, fantastic reading of the game, not scared to barge a guy. Um, yes, he's not got the ball-playing tendencies like a Joe Matip, but um, with him and Van Dijk, I was, yeah, that would be your your usual um, back-to pairing. And I've not been happy with Van Dijk either. That's why I personally think Konate has been our best centre-back this season. Um, I'll get into Van Dijk a little bit. I'll get into lots of players, man. I haven't been doing this podcast stuff for eight months or... I don't know if your guys are interested in my opinions or not, but um, I'm going to drop a lot of uh, hot takes, maybe. <laughs> and what I think is happening, etc. Yeah. Um, and then as for our midfield, I wasn't happy with Harvey Elliott starting just because Brentford are a physical team. And Elliott, I don't know if you've noticed this season... Um, he just doesn't like physicality, man. He's trying to be too tidy and play football like his under-23s. Because in academy football, um, it's not about the physicality so much. It's more about they, they, they prioritise the technical side of the game more than the physicality. For The physicality game is met in senior football 
But Brentford rely heavily more on their physicality more than the technical aspects of their game. Um, so I wasn't happy with Avi Elliott starting. We got Cato who has played a bit of cameo minutes with Aston Villa away, Leicester. Um, so you might um, I can't remember if he came on against Man City Carabao Cup. Um, I don't think he did, you know, or maybe he did. No, he did actually. He did, he did. But yeah, he's been getting cameo minutes, but he hasn't been really starting. I reckon this would have been the game where you start Cater because at least he's not afraid of a tackle. You know what I mean? And he's got a bit more smarts. He's 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 more um all rounded as opposed to. Harvey Elliott, who definitely has his deficiencies as a hybrid midfielder type. And I want to deep dive into that a little bit more as well. Um, Fabinho coming back from maternity leave, he's had a baby boy. Um, I know when he played against Aston Villa last week that um, he played quite well. He looked like the old Fabinho, not this lethargic old man Fabinho because he's had to play 12 league games in a row. Um... And yeah, Thiago coming back. Thiago had a good game against Leicester, but he did it with no help because Henderson and Elliot were just not present. Um, and then up front, Chamberlain. Oh God, they even mentioned um, this was Chamberlain's one hundredth Premier League appearance. <laughs> one hundred. He has uh, he has joined us in twenty seventeen. Right, it's now twenty twenty three. In six years, this is your 100th Premier League appearance. That means on average, you've only been available for, what, 16 games, roughly, a season. There's 38 league games in the campaign. That's less than half. It's not good enough. And it's why his contract is going to be expiring in the season. It's going to be why we should have even sold him in in a summer window. Even the year before that, we should have sold him, but I guess we'll get into that as well. Um, Darwin Nunes, oh boy, the enigma of Darwin Nunes. Since post-World Cup football, he has not scored a goal. He's been involved in big chances. Um, we know the Leicester game, he had one... He he did he did cause some moments. He caused the he caused moments to happen, but when it comes when it came to the chances where he could have scored, he's just kept missing. But um, he still has that belief in him. But it's a little bit frustrating. How many big chances can you keep routinely missing before we see that form? Because that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for Nunes to arrive. He's still not really arrived yet. It's now January. We're not halfway through the season, obviously, because it's the World Cup. Because the World Cup had happened. So, um, I'm sparing my thought process on him. But um, a lot of people are like, yeah, he's not it. And I can understand why. Um, But yeah, we'll get into that as well. If I remember to. Obviously, there's a lot of things to get into. Um, And then Mohamed Salah... um, so, yeah, Leicester game was missing chances as well, but he still got a 20 GA for the season. So I guess on average, he's doing okay. He's not really flopping. He's not really setting the world alight. Um, yeah, and that was the lineup. Really, did I do I think did I think when I saw the lineup whether it'd be enough to beat Brentford, knowing that Ivan Tony's out? There was always a chance. You always believe Liverpool have a chance, but. Is it going to be the same routine of how Liverpool play? That's what my thought process was. Anyway, we'll get into what I remember. So, um, Yeah, so the first half started now. I believe we had kick-off. Um, I think Konati. We passed it to Konati, kicks it long. And then um, there was a moment, like two minutes in, um, two Brentford players miscommunicate with each other and make a bad pass. Darwin Nunes anticipates it. Um, what's his name? Zanka, Zanira, whatever his name is. Um, the Brentford CB cynical fouls Nunes two minutes in. The referee gives him a yellow card, and I was thinking, thank you. It's very rare you see Premier League officials 
give cards out um, when players on the counter attack because we were onto something and uh, rightly so. Um, that could have been the start of an attack. But yeah, Nunes wins a free kick and then I'm thinking, okay, we're on it. Um, and then yeah, Simi knocks the ball in. We don't make much of the set pieces. But then Liverpool in the first 10 minutes had most of the possession. We're working Brentford to try and create openings. We're trying a lot of through passes um, to Salah. Also Salah trying through passes to Nunes. Um, some kind of came off. Some didn't come off. It was either over hit or we played the perfect pass. Um, but the one perfect pass that did happen, Mo Salah through ball to Darwin Nunes. Nunes goes round the keeper. He's about to slot the ball in. And he's, 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 he shoots inside left foot. Um, ben Mee clears it off the line. So, and I was just thinking, oh no. It's going to be one of those games again for him, isn't it? And it's not even like a, oh, Nunes will... I, be, I still believe Nunes will score. I feel like you're going to know what type of game Nunes has from the first shot. The first shot. You'd know immediately what type of game he's going to have. And from when it was cleared off the line, I said, I don't think he's scoring today. That was my general feel. Like, he may cause stuff to happen, some chaotic stuff to happen that may benefit Liverpool, that may help them to score... But but I don't think he will personally score because it just felt like, you know, when your luck is not in and just you've tried everything and even the one time when you think it's finally going to come off and it doesn't come off, it doesn't look good. And yeah, and then um, Liverpool have a first cautious moment where Thiago gives the ball away. He tries a crossfield pass. In Bueno, um, picks it up. He dribbles past Trent. Then Harvey Elliott's cynical fouls um, in Bueno. Or was it Henry? It might have been Henry, actually. I think it was Henry. He cynical fouls Henry. And then Elliott gets the yellow card. And I don't like the way Elliott tackles because everybody knows how to take out a man. But the way he was positioned, he was like jockeying. He was jockeying like from the halfway line. It's not like... You jockey when uh, an attacker is like around the eighteen yard box. That's when you jockey. You don't jockey on the halfway line. You're supposed to stand strong, but it's almost like let me just give away this foul immediately and put myself in a yellow card. And that's Harvey Elliott's weakness. The biggest weakness is his physicality. He's small. He's five foot six. Is he meant to be a? Is he meant to be a a right centre midfielder? Absolutely not. It's Klopp shoehorning in, shoehorning Harvey Elliott because we don't have um, midfielders that can do a sufficient job. Absolutely. Um, And that's been my problem with Elliott. It was the same thing with... um, It's the same thing with the Leicester game, actually. With the Leicester game. When he's on the ball, he will do that one thing when he... He's almost like a, a left-footed Grealish. When he cuts in, he makes the same predictable move. But then when the move doesn't come off, he vacates this space and it leaves Trent vulnerable. Luckily, that time, I mean, it wasn't even a, an Elliot mistake. But if Elliot did make a mistake like that, there'd usually be a big gap on the right-hand side. And the disconnect between Elliot and Trent would have made there. Um... So yeah, that was a worrying sign. And then um Brentford started to grow into the game. Um Konate looked a little bit shaky to be honest. And then Simicus began to look a little bit shaky. Um and then I from what I remember, there was a free ball played in for Mimbueno. And Virgil van Dijk, oh my god. Virgil van Dijk was beaten for pace by Mimbueno. What does this tell me? You're never going to get prime VVD back again. This is, this is, you may think this is a hot take. You're never going to get prime VVD again. Um, That ACL, ACL injuries is the worst injury to have in sports, period. Because you got to relearn how you run and you're never the same player you was. And I, and 
the narrative when Van Dyke was playing bad before World Cup was that he's trying to not engage in tackles or he's not trying to be as not trying to be that physical presence um because he's saving himself for the World Cup. And I was thinking I'm not happy with that, but I can understand why because of your ACL injury. But I don't like that you're not going to deep dive into tackles and save yourself when you could be be the difference maker between Liverpool getting one point or three points. Or, you know what I mean? And the fact he was beaten for pace by Membreno, it looked like he was, you can see Van Dyke puffing. Pre-ACO Van Dyke does not even let Membreno get to the 18-yard box. Doesn't even let Allison save the ball. Doesn't let Allison save the ball. The fact Allison had to come out and save it. You don't see that. Pre-ACL VVD doesn't allow that. And even if pre-ACL VVD doesn't exist, that even if pre-ACL VVD doesn't allow that, guess who would have stopped that from happening? Genie Wijnaldum. Before... There's always barriers to break Liverpool down. Prime Liverpool had Genie Wijnaldum as the first phase. If you got past Genie, then you'd have to get past a pre-ACL Van Dyke. And if you got past Van, if you were lucky to get past Van Dyke, you'd have to stop the great Alison Becker. But nowadays, it is so easy to cut through Liverpool like knife through butter. Is that ridiculously easy? Um. Leicester versus uh, Liverpool on Friday. Did you see Drewsby Hall just cut through the defence like prime Kaka in 2006? I couldn't believe how much time um, Drewsby, Drewsby Hall had because Henderson couldn't engage. And that's the problem with the midfield, which I'm going to get into after I'm done with the match analysis. Um... But yeah, the fact that we're dealing with post-ACL Van Dyke means that he needs protection. And the fact that Fabinho can't... I mean, Fabinho. We got Thiago, who can't, who can't cover everyone all the time like he did with Leicester. There's going to be times you get caught open. Um, and it was a good through ball, to be fair. But in moments like that, Genie Wijnaldum would have read that because usually Genie is great. Genie Wijnaldum is great at blocking passing lanes. And um, now we haven't got a midfielder like that. Um, it's just so easy to cut through Liverpool, man. And that's why this month is very important as we move forward. And I'm going to talk about after the game, after I'm done with my analysis as well. Um, and yeah, from that corner, from that save, it's a Brentford corner. The ball is whipped in. Ben Mee heads the ball and it goes in 1-0 to Brentford. 1-0 to Brentford. Um, yeah, depressing that. Um, Liverpool concede the first goal once again. How many times is that? How many times have we seen that happen? It happened at, uh, happened at Leicester, happened at Aston Villa, happened with Man City. How many times can you concede the first goal? What have you? What has Pep Linders and Klopp been doing for six weeks? The same issues are still happening. Liverpool keep conceding the first goal. I'm I'm getting tired of it. This is I'm getting tired of it. It's, and I think they're becoming. I think there's some sort of uh, disparity between Klopp and Linders, low key. Um, or there's some. Oh, we're letting Pep Linders have too much influence, but um, because it's just not making sense. We used to be this physical, gegen pressing team, and now it's just like teams just cut through you without doing the bare minimum. And yeah, as soon as it was one nil, it was almost like we shut the bed, and we just continued to play worse. Nothing was coming off, um. And then the next moment kind of happens where Brentford get corner again. 
again is poorly dealt with from Liverpool defence. Um, they score, but it was deemed offside. One of their players was on the line as we began to step out. Um, and then it was disallowed. 20 seconds later, Liverpool play out from the back. Alisson passes to Harvey Elliott, who tries a half dummy, realises, oh, there's a Brentford player closing him down, loses the ball. Um, the ball is whipped in. And then one of their Brentford strikers jumps over Trent. That classic jump over Trent back post moment. Alisson almost saves the ball off the line, but um, all of the ball passed the line. And then the goal line technology rules it 2-0 to Brentford. Within 20 seconds of VAR ruling the original offside. How do Liverpool, how do you freeze in that entire moment? And something tells me the players are psychologically psychologically not there mentally not there after you're 1-0 up um after being 1-0 down sorry like it's just like the, the defeatist mentality just creeps in immediately immediately um and yeah and that was and that was pretty much the first half just deserved deserved to be uh losing um and my head was hot. I was just thinking, I don't see us winning today. It's probably gonna, at the worst case, at the best case scenario, probably a draw. But, um, yeah, I just don't know. What do you do? Um, and then yeah, we make substitutions. Simicus comes off, and Van Dyke comes off. Van Dyke hooks at half time. Simicus hooked. Robo comes on. But Van Dyke getting hooked, what does that tell you? He is not the same Van Dyke we once knew. Um, to, I don't know what the ex- what is what can what can the excuse be with Van Dyke anymore? It's not that you're saving yourself for the World Cup because after this World Cup, you've not been the same player. You've not been that same player you once was pre ACL, and is it because you don't have the protection? It could, I, I, that's part of it, yes. Because when Liverpool had that kinetic chain between the midfield, mid defence midfield and attack, everything was cohesive going to plan. But this time Van Dijk, he comes off um, and then they say um, he had some strapping to his thigh or whatever. Um, so it could be injury-based, could be a hamstring, I'm not really sure. Um so yeah, Matip and oh yeah, Matip comes on, Simicus comes on, no Simicus comes off for um Robbo. I think that was the only two subs at the time. Um, and then yeah, Liverpool start the second half, similar to the start of the first half with this imposing energy. Um, and then a moment happens, a ball's played through to Nunes, he shoots and scores. It was a nice finish as well, but he was offside as VAR rule it out. So then it's still 2-0. Two, two um, and then about three minutes later, Trent puts in a nice ball on his left foot, whips it in. It finds Chamberlain's head, ball goes in 2-1. Um, Chamberlain's first goal in over a year. Um, Trent assists, good to see on his weaker foot. And then it seemed like Liverpool were going to have this energy again, but then... Um, after a while, Brentford just nullified it. Um, oh yeah, Keita came on. Keita came on for Elliot because Elliot had a disastrous game. Um, and yeah, that's the problem with Elliot. Keita should have started. I can't remember if I mentioned this earlier. Um, but yeah, Keita should have definitely started. I, um, Elliot is just... Elliot reminds me of Jiren Shakiri, But less technical and younger. Um, remember how Shakiri defensively just not that imposing same height as Elliot um could whip out could whip out um a better balls than Elliot of course but work rate was just not the same and when you need somebody to cover you um they just can't do it and I feel sorry for Elliot because he signed a new contract should he be playing this amount of games at Liverpool Football Club absolutely not He's still 19. He should be playing here and there. 
we shouldn't be playing him every week because he's playing in a disjointed team and he's playing out of position because his real position is um CAM central midfield central attacking midfield the problem is Liverpool are never ever going to play that position we're never ever going to play a CAM so Elliot will have to be shoehorned in as a right CM or um a right winger and he's neither that He's he's neither is that he's not good enough to be a right he's not good enough to be a right winger he's not good enough to be a right central midfielder so what do you do do you sell him his long term future is definitely for doubt up for doubt I know he signed a new contract but I'm thinking if Liverpool want to evolve to be how they used to be Elliot cannot get the amount of game time he's getting same with Fabio Carvalho um. They, he he was getting a lot of minutes as well, but it's just not been working for him because we've, again we've had to shoehorn him in at left uh, left wing, and when he's not a left winger, he's not a he's not physically imposing enough to be a centre midfielder. Just like Elliot, he's more of a ten, just like how we saw him at Fulham last season. Um, and yeah, man, he's just they they're both young kids. They're both nineteen and twenty, but. Right now, the what I what I envision Liverpool to be, they will not be they they will not be starters. So, and if they want game time, there's only one way: you have to leave the club. And it's harsh saying that to young kids, but sometimes you just know early on. And Curtis Jones is another one of those where, and even with Curtis Jones, Liverpool fans have been like. Um, Maybe he's good enough. Maybe he's not good enough. Sometimes it looks like he's a bit too passive. He's trying to be a bit too tired. He takes too long with decision making. Um, when he dribbles, he never looks up to make a key pass, and he's not physically imposing enough. So, and these are almost Pep Linda type players, where they a little bit too technical, but the heartbeat of a Klopp team is that physical workhorse midfield. The one that presses any first players of play, any second balls that drop. You get the club midfield to hound these players and then you win the ball back. That's what I that's what that's the club team I know. This team is not this 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 team that I'm seeing in our midfield is currently not it. Thiago can only do it in, in pass in, in, in waves. He can't do it all the time. He's thirty two years old. And Fabinho can't do it all the time because he'll get booked. You just need it needs to be that um we all, it all needs to be a cohesive effort but we we need them we need like energy and a proper plan to it not this oh just play technical even though we don't have the players to do what's required um yeah that bit was frustrating um yeah and then that two one i there was just things not happening for us. Brentford done well to nullify us. Um, although Keita was making my passes happen. Um, he was keeping things ticking. He was doing weight, winning jewels. Keita's cameo, I was relatively okay with. I was happy. Because he contributed way more in a shorter space of time than what Elliot did in that whole of first half. Um, and then, yeah, the third goal happens. Unfortunately, this time it was a Cater mistake. He held on to the ball too long, lost the ball. Um, one literal long diagonal ball. That's all it was. One literal long diagonal ball to Mbreno. Um Canati tries to close him down. Um, Mbreno just shoulder barges him. Canati falls like passively to the floor, almost as if like um, almost as if like a. Uh, he was expecting a foul there, but he could have been so much stronger there. And then Mbreno slots it past Allison, and it's three-one, game over. And then, um, yeah, after that, Liverpool were doing a huddle in the eighty-sixth minute. You got Robertson talking to Salah and Cato about what the and Thiago as well, I think, about uh, what to do or whatever. And it just seemed like. A team that just look lost. A team that just don't have the ideas. The team that is ageing. The team that's just not cohesively there like they was. Um, 
even last season, I guess a little bit. Um, but mainly that 2020, 2019, 2018 era. It's just, we are way, way, way far from that level. Um, and yeah, you got Klopp just grinning teeth at 3 1. Um, but yeah, role played Brentford. They're a force, man. Brentford will not get relegated anytime soon. They're the new Stoke City. Um, any t- any big six team that comes to play Brentford, other than Arsenal, who dispatched to them with ease, with literal ease, um, because Arsenal are the best team in the country right now, as much as it pains me to say it. And that's why they'll probably be title challengers. Not sure they'll be winners. I think Man City win it, but I think Arsenal come close. If they get rid of Thursday, Sunday football, they could be Premier League winners. But let's see what Arteta's thought process is. But I don't give a shit about Arsenal right now. My thought process is Liverpool letting me down once again. Liverpool conceding the first goal once again. Liverpool letting Alisson down once again. Like, um, So who does it stem to? The owners? Is it Klopp? Is it Linders? Everything's a cohesive effort. It's all a cohesive effort. But yes. The biggest decisions are made from the top down. It starts with the owners first. We know that the owners want to sell the club or are looking for investment because they panicked. And I wish I didn't. I wish I did a return to LSE Reactions episode by to break down the FSG want to sell the club because I could break because. I would, I would have gone in a long um, theory as to why, but I know why they 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 they've bent the knee now. Essentially, um, in summary, they've realised Chamberlain, Milner, Cater are all going at the end of the season and the contracts. We are not going to renew their contracts. I am ninety nine percent sure we're not going to renew any of the free contracts. So that means Liverpool need three midfielders. Okay, who do we sell? Who do we sell? Who are we selling? Okay, I guess... All oh, right, can't sell anyone. No, one, no one's asked to leave. Your Deadwood players are the ones you've kind of given a new contract to in the last 18 months. So that would be Nat Phillips. That would be Curtis Jones. I may even say that might be Harvey Elliott that you've given a new contract to that you may potentially have to sell to buy. But it's not it's not enough. It's not gonna it would not the free selling them free at the most would get you uh sixty, seventy mil, if I'm honest. Even with English tax. Liverpool need to spend about 200 mil. Jamie Carragher said it in the sports, Sky Sports uh, broadcast after the game, if you managed to notice that. He said that you need to spend 200 mil. And 150 of that might have to go on Jude Bellingham. And that's not a guarantee that we even get Jude Bellingham, which it looks like he might be going to Real Madrid. And I wouldn't blame him for it, because if you see the state of Liverpool... Why would you go to... Why would you come to us? As much as we love the fairy tale of Jude coming, we know that Real Madrid will always play Champions League football every year. Will always be in at least the semi-finals of the Champions League every year, if not win the competition. Um, and, and Jude Bellingham deserves a career like that. Real Madrid is perfect for him. Absolutely perfect for him. With us, it just always seems like we'll always be one short somewhere else. And the fact that we've only signed Thiago as our only midfielder in the last four and a half years, I'm not counting Arthur because that was a loan signing. In terms of physical permanent signing, Thiago's the only midfielder in the last four and a half years. What does that tell you? Jurgen Klopp has been holding on to players past their sell-by dates. He loves this blind loyalty to players. Because he never experienced it at Dortmund. At Dortmund, he's got used to players leaving for Bayern Munich all the time. Lewandowski, Gnogan, Hummels, you name it, all the best players left to go to Bayern. So he never knew what loyalty meant or understood. 
Now you're seeing players who you had a successful formula with at the time in Henderson, Milner at a brief period, uh, Chamberlain, Lalana, gosh, who else? Um, even Lovren at one point, who you held on to. Just players you hold on. You got to. He, that was Klopp's weakness that he just. When it was time to really upgrade, it just wasn't there. Um, or when you do it, it'd be too late. The fact that everybody's been crying out for a Gini Ronaldo replacement and he left in 2021 in the summer, it's almost been two years. It's almost been two years and we've still not replaced Gini Ronaldo. Jurgen Klopp said in the press conference yesterday, oh, stop asking me about splashing the cash. We've spent money on Goldie Gapo. Therefore, um, therefore, we're not going to spend money on a midfielder. Or, I'm happy with my players. I trust my players. You trust this system? No chance. No chance. Because there's been quotes where you've been saying about the FSG investment thing. Oh, I'm looking forward to the investment. And then when it came to the last day or last week of the summer window... He said, oh, you guys were right. I was wrong. We need a midfielder. So are you a yes man for FSG? It must be because you never call out the owners. You keep wanting to work with the bare minimum. Call them out. Call them out. They're not going to resign. They're not going to tell you to resign. Today, I read that um, John Henry got booed at Boston Red Sox. So the fact that Boston Red Sox fans are booing him, booing John Henry... And Liverpool fans despise John Henry. Means it starts at the top. So John Henry has to go. FSG have to go. Are we going to get new owners soon? I do not know. Um, that's the tough one. We're in a market now where it's been projected this year that with all this inflation stuff, cost of living, investors may not want to buy right now. If there's a market crash to be projected... Why would you buy when there's a crash, when your value of the club would potentially uh, diminish itself? We know that FSG want to buy a Las Vegas um, basketball team, then talks with LeBron James to formulate that and create that happening. So you can get why they want to sell Liverpool Football Club. Um, and yes, they've done well with how with smart recruitment, etc. But then that the financial markets have changed, transfer markets changed, and they're not willing to keep up anymore. And they understand that. I think by now, publicly announcing they want to sell the club, um, and even the Glazers, Man United, have announced the same thing that they want to sell the club. It's just about what type of owners you find that's willing to take the uh, to make make the move happen. Um, my thought process, and when the news happened at the time, I thought it would get it done by December, but I was a little bit too naive. Um, I, maybe the summer, I don't know. But, um, yeah, it starts from the top, and then it comes down to the recruitment team. So the fact that Liverpool didn't have a club doctor from August to November, in that time period, Diaz got injured... Then they said he didn't require surgery. He came back from injury um, during that winter break and got injured because we had no club doctor. And the club doctor told him, oh, he does need the surgery. So if he, if we had had a club doctor in October, he would have recovered in time by December. And we would have not had to worry about the left wing issue. Secondly, Jota injured. His calf is his calf basically exploded. Could this make Jota potentially injury prone now? Yeah, maybe. But we didn't have a club doctor at the time to tell us, hey, micromanaged um Jota's minutes here because if you don't, his leg is gonna get injured. You only have to give him this certain amount of minutes anymore, and he's going to malfunction. It's like the same way um engineers at Formula One will tell you what's wrong with the car like that we don't see we didn't see the same we never had the same analytical data with the medical information about our players and that has been arguably the biggest architect of a downfall because now you've had to go and you've gone and bought goldie Cody gapo who is fine he's had a decent World cup good record with psv i ain't got a problem with that 
But the priority was a midfielder and it always has been. It's been a priority for nearly two years. And your first instinct is to buy a left winger? What? Can Cody Gapo play centre midfield? What's the thought process here? And then to tell us, oh, we don't have the money or whatever. Um, so what does that mean? So you can't buy Casado, you can't negotiate with a Casado, Amrabat. Enzo Jude, fair enough. We're talking hundred million plus pound players. We're not asking for that. We're asking for the Wanaldum type fix. Because the Wanaldum type fix will mean an easier workload for Fabinho, easy workload for Thiago. They're less likely to get injured and you're able to build some sort of consistency and rotates, you know? The things that Liverpool was doing when they had Gini Wijnaldum at the Realm, even Emre Chan, a prime Henderson, a prime James Milner. Um, but now you, you, you prioritise the forward. And there's been rumours saying that it's Pep Linders that may be pushing that narrative, forcing us to move technical and away from a traditional club midfield. That's why he's been incorporating more game time to Curtis Jones, Fabinho, Fabio Carvalho and Elliot because they're more technical midfielders. They're not the classic Klopp workhorse midfielders um, you get with the with the four I just mentioned. Um, and even on the doorman, um, Ganogan was a Klopp type player. Them type of players that work hard for you. Um, so as Pep Linders had more influence, I think so. I, I generally think so. And it could be the architect of Klopp's downfall. It's also Klopp's downfall for not an- analysing... Um, it, was, it wasn't Klopp's fault for... I'm sorry, it was Klopp's fault holding on to these players for too long, not identifying the issue. Um, and not fixing the problem that we've still, we still got the same technical issues of conceding the first goal. Um, I'm, I'm worried, bro. I'm worried. I don't know what's going to happen. Because if you... If, Jamie Carragher said if we don't sign a midfielder, we ain't going to get top four. And I agree with him. If you don't get a midfielder, that's it. It's wraps. It's absolutely wraps. If you don't get a midfielder, it is game over, bro. It is game over. You have to get Casado and Rabat. It's a must. The fact that you bought Gapo first, it tells me is that is there's incompetence happening again. Incompetence happening again. And if, the, if it's a... Uh, and if we end this window without a midfielder and we don't get top four, it's over. I think Klopp is finished. He has to resign. A lot of people saying seventh season syndrome. Yeah, it's happening again. It's happened. Dortmund, same thing. Seventh season syndrome. Yeah, it's not been uncommon. It's not been uncommon for that to happen. Um, and right now, I just don't have any hope. Gapo is going to come next game. Can he fix this Liverpool team? No, because the midfield... The, it's, the, it's always been the midfield that's been the biggest issue. And I'm I'm tired of it, man. I'm just tired of it. Yeah. Um, <sighs> and that was a real chance as well to capitalise and close in on top four. But once again... We slip up and once again. It's just Nottingham Forest, Leeds, Arsenal, Brentford, Man United. I think that's been all our Premier League losses. Who loses five times? Five times and it's not even halfway through the season. Last season, Liverpool only lost, I think, twice. Twice or three times max. And we finished on the 90-point season. This decline is scary. And the first thing is, we all saw it coming because of the incompetence happening at the top. And it's jarring when you see Liverpool lose in the same manner, just like all them previous games before. Um, yeah, things are not looking good, man. Um, usually I'd be way more angrier, but I'm just like, it's almost like fed up frustration, not anger frustration, when you see the same things happening again, so... Boy, this was probably my longest podcast. Um, if you have lasted this long, congratulations. Well done. Um, yeah, man. The next game is the FA Cup against Wolves. Uh, and then after that, we have Brighton away from home, which will not be easy. Casado and Gary McAllister 
against this incompetent midfield. And God knows what could happen. We don't know about Van Dijk's injury. We we don't know. More injuries could happen in midfield. Any yeah, man, it's just not looking good at all. Not looking good at all. We the priority has to be a midfielder. They got to start negotiating with Brighton today, tonight. Um, the fact Julian Ward has also left the club, and now Klopp has taken the realm of these signings is not good. Because at least with uh, Michael Edwards, we were making smart signings. Instead of Julian Brandt, we went with Mo Salah. Instead of Depay, we went with um, Sadio Mane. Um, I can't remember. I don't know if we... No, Van Dijk, we were never going to... We always wanted Van Dijk. So it's possible for one mid one midfielder to change the complexity of the midfield. Just like how Van Dijk came in and transformed the defence when he first came. We there's there is a midfielder out there that can transform this midfield or transform this midfield. I believe so. Um and hopefully we see it happen. So yeah. Um thank you guys for listening to this very long episode of LFC Reactions. I'm back. 2023 let's pray that i can stay consistent and yeah if i don't post fa cup don't worry i will try my best to tune in and for the brighton game and give my review and if any transfer signings happen along the way any takeover news happen along the way this month or even this year um i will be sure to get involved so yeah Thank you guys for listening to LFC Reactions. I'm back, baby. Um, But Liverpool, I'm back. Liverpool in the worst position I've seen since 2020, 2021. So, yeah, not looking good. All right, other than that, I hope you guys have a good year. (laughs) A good year, good week. Um, And have a fun. And let's start and let's hope for some things to be better (laughs) in 2023 because this is not it um yeah take care and peace